Well, we are in Judges chapter 4. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for your grace and for your mercy. We pray that you would speak to us through this chapter, teaching us what you'd have to teach, applying what you'd have to apply, and writing on our, our hearts these words that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's read, and we're going to jump right in. Verse 1, when Ehud was dead, the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazor. The commander of his army was Sisera, who dwelt at Harasheth Hygoyim. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, for Jabin had 900 chariots of iron. And for 20 years he had harshly oppressed the children of Israel. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidith, was judging Israel at that time. And she would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. Well, we've got so much to unpack in just the first five verses here. We know who Ehud is from the last chapter. We know um, that he has now passed. He had killed King Eglon. There was a deliverance. And now it starts right off or that right off chapter 3. And what do we see immediately? Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. This is going to be a continual cycle through this whole book. Apostasy, servitude, supplication. That's a fancy way of saying they turn away from the Lord, they get taken over and they're slaves to somebody else. They beg the Lord to deliver them. The Lord delivers them over and over and over again. And some of us as Christians, we live that way. I recommend you stop. Be filled with the Spirit, be in His Word, growing in Him. Um, but we definitely see that here in the nation of Israel. Who is raised up is this man named Sisera. Sisera, he's the leader of the army, and Jabin, the king of Canaan. So that's who God uses to take over and to put the Israelites under servitude, that means they have to give a major portion of their crops. They have to submit to them in all that they want. And how long does it happen? 20 years. When we read through the Bible, we miss this time. We don't apply this time the way that we would to our own lives. And last week we said it, and this week I'm going to say it again. Imagine you're standing before the judge and he gives you a 20-year prison sentence. Are you happy with this? Oh, that's not that big a deal. It's a short amount of time. Absolutely not. This is a major portion. So imagine raising a family for 20 years. Uh, imagine being under oppression for 20 years. This is a long time. But the Lord listens to the people of Israel, and He raises up a judge. But what do we see? We see a prophetess. We see a lady named Deborah. Now, the other thing I want to unpack is this. I've heard lots of studies from Judges chapter 4 with Deborah, and we have to be very, very careful because many pastors make a mistake. In this chapter, there is a big difference between description and postscription. What does that mean? When you read the Bible, sometimes the Lord just keeps a record, and He's listing exactly what happened. He doesn't say if that's a good thing. He doesn't say if that's a bad thing. He doesn't say that things should happen. 
If it's a bad thing, we know because there's consequences and criticisms or judgment that come later. And so we're going to look at some things and we want to describe them descriptively. We get into a very dangerous area when we said, well, this happened, so God must have meant this. Or what God really meant by this area was this. That is reading into the text. That's another fancy word. That's called eisegesis. You're trying to make a sermon out of something, and it doesn't say that. So we want to use Scripture to interpret Scripture. Can a woman be a prophetess? Can a woman lead and speak for God? Yes. Yes, absolutely. In fact, remember we spent like, I don't know, five years in Corinthians? I'm exaggerating a bit. And I have a reference for you in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. What does it say there? It says, But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head, for that is one and the same as if her head were shaved. Go get the study in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 to understand what that says in its context. But what do we see here? It is proscribed that women should be praying and prophesying. They, the, the Bible says that they should be spiritual. They should be leaders. What else do we see here in chapter 11 that we can apply to chapter 4 in the book of Judges? That when women are prophesying or praying or speaking for God, they need to do that under authority and in submission. But here's the thing. So do men. Men need to be under authority and in submission. I don't just come up here and say whatever I want. I can, but the elders would defrock me. They'd kick me out because I'm under authority and in submission. And God has a hierarchy. The pendulum, it swings too much in the culture between women can do every single role in the church exactly the same as everyone else. That's not what the Bible says. And then you have people that'll get countercultural. They'll go all the way and say, well, women need to be absolutely silent. The men need to lead in anything. And they almost got to ask their husband for permission to speak. That's not biblical either. That's too far. The pendulum swings too much. Now, if you're well-trained Bible students, which I hope you are if you're here, you're going to be like, I need more than one reference. Okay, I got one for you. Miriam, Exodus chapter 15, prophetess. Huldah, 2 Kings 22, prophetess. Anna, book of Luke, chapter 2, prophetess. And Philip's four daughters in Acts chapter 21, Pastor Reggie just talked about that a couple weeks ago. All these ladies are mentioned as prophetesses. That doesn't mean that the male in their household is not the head of the household. I know, I'm going to be sarcastic for a bit. I'll warn everybody real quick. I know that maybe in your house this doesn't happen, but I hear that in many households the wife is the spiritual one and the husband's like not the spiritual one. She's spiritually pushing and dragging to church. She's the one that's encouraging the Bible studies. She's the one that's jumping the Bible and saying, hey, are you going to read to me? Now, it ain't like that in my house, but many times that's a description that's given to me. And I'm here to tell you, that's okay. That's, if that's how God's gifting is. But that doesn't mean that those roles from Ephesians chapter 5 and other portions of the Bible change at all. The head of the household is still the man. He's the prophet and the priest, ordained by God, saved by grace. She, he is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Good luck, guys. 
And wives are submit to the authority of their husband as unto the Lord. No, ladies, none of us deserve it. No. And we all have different spiritual giftings, and that's okay. Remember how I said the difference between proscription and description? This is being described. Then you'll hear some pastors say, well, it shouldn't be this way. Deborah was a prophetess because God didn't, the men weren't standing up. It doesn't say that. It is just descriptive. She is called by God. She is called a prophetess here in Scripture. She's going to give a prophecy here in a little bit. Guess what's going to happen? Because to be an actual prophet, what you say has to happen without, without uh, variation. And guess what happens? What she says is going to happen happens because it's from God. And there's nothing in there about her not being submissive to her husband. There's nothing in there about Lapidith because she's known as the, the wife of Lapidith. Being a good husband or a bad husband or not standing up or not, nothing. That doesn't say. That's being described. So I get a little irritated when I hear other sermons or pastors, well-intentioned. They're just reading too much into the text. And it's because they got some good things to say. Serious Bible students, which I hope you all are, need to be able to filter that out. Pastor Chuck used to say to eat the fruit and not the seeds. And that is this. You can hear a pastor teach a sermon that is correct, that is doctrinally accurate, but they're jumping off from a text that that's not what it's saying. And so you just enjoy it. You know, you know scripturally it's okay, but maybe it doesn't apply to that particular text or context. That being said, I'm going to do a little eisegesis later, but I'm going to warn you ahead of time. Let's read verses 6 through 10. Then she sent and called for Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedash in Naphtali, and said to him, Has not the Lord God of Israel commanded, Go and deploy troops at Mount Tabor. Take with you ten thousand men of the sons of Naphtali and of the sons of Zebulon, and against you I will deploy Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude at the river Kishon and I will deliver him into your hand. Verse 8, And Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So she said, I will surely go with you. Nevertheless, there will be no glory for you in the journey you are taking, for the Lord will sell Sisera into the hand of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kedesh. And Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali to Kedesh. He went up with 10,000 men under his command, and Deborah went up with him. All right, so this is where we do have some proscription. How do we say that? Well, because Deborah, she gets this vision from God, and she speaks to Barak as if it is the Lord speaking. So she is 100% being a, a prophet. And what do we see? Barak trusts Deborah more than the Lord. Did you catch that? I will go if you will go with me. Barak doesn't trust the Lord directly. He was given a message. Has it not been said, you need to take this army and you will go against Sisera and you will fight and I will deliver you. And he's like, okay, but... No, 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 you shouldn't have done that. How do we know that? Because when Deborah responds, 
yes, but this is what's going to happen because you didn't have that faith, because you, because you wanted me to come. So we know that there's an error there. And we're going to talk about that more in a minute. But I, I want to give Barak some credit. 900 chariots of armor. We don't understand what we're talking about here and the amount of fear and what's being asked of him. He is going, he's being told to take 10,000 men. Oh, that sounds like we could do some damage. Who have no steel. They have no iron. They don't have this strong metal. They have uh, anything that they have with that strong of metal, they have taken from other nations because they can't make it. And so there they are with their swords made of uh, copper, brass, mixtures of the, the same, their spears, their slingshots. And they're going to go out into a plain, a plain, a flat area of ground against 900 iron chariots. Yes, just like you can imagine them with the spinning swords on the side, men on them that can just run through them like a sickle through the wheat in a field which is made for chariots. And you're going to take your 10,000 men and God's going to deliver you. Just have faith. No, no, that is not a good battle plan. That would be the same as me saying, okay, guys, we're in South Carolina. We're going to be a little bit more out there. Take your shotgun. We're going to go out into the plain. We're going to go out into a field. And we're going to trust God that we can fight these Abrams tanks out here. God will deliver you. It's, you go first. <laughs> That's what Barack is saying. Sure, you go first. No. But Deborah says, yes, we're going to do it. Now, knowing that background, Barack is going to go. He just didn't go all the way. This is when we're going to do a little eisegesis. We're going to take off a little bit. It means we're going to, we're going to jump off from this text, and we're going to speak into our own households. We're going to speak into our own families. Barack needed to hear Deborah tell him this. Wives, there is nothing more empowering than to speak these truths into your husband as he leaves the front door. God is going to deliver your enemies into your hands. I dare you just to say that because that's all we need. I'll give you chills, guys. But you're going to go into work. You're going to go out there right now. God's going to bless you. I know that he's going to protect you. I'm, I know what he's going to use you for. And you're just speaking life into them. I cannot tell you how important those words are. He's going to look at you awkwardly if he's like me because he doesn't express feelings. That's just not what he does. And you're going to wonder, did it work? I'm telling you right now, he will face 900 chariots of iron in a plane with a six-shooter if you just tell him you're proud of him, you know he's going to be successful, you're looking up to him, you know he's going to be a provider. And it takes a woman and it takes a wife to be able to do that, to be able to submit to her husband. And listen, wife, I know you're hearing this from the pastor. Sometimes you've got to lie. Because you're looking at that guy like, you're not going to even get the car on. <laughs> Did you remember gas? But you're going to prophesy over him. You're going to speak truth into him. And it takes that nurturing to be able to submit to your husband, to be able to submit to him and be able to say those things. It's important. I'll tell you something else. It takes women, it takes strong women to teach young boys how to become young men. 
of course the father is uh, in super important. The men in the fellowship, super important. But the pendulum in the church is beginning to swing too much to react against the world. I, I don't think that's too much of a bad thing, but it, it takes that mom, with the encouragement of her husband, to not make babies. No, I did mean make babies, but you don't want them to stay that way. You don't want to speak to them and continue to treat them like a child. You need to nurture them to become the warriors that God is making them. And I can't tell you the importance of those prophetic words over those young boys to become men. It also takes young women. If you're a young woman here, you're single. It takes you to raise your standards and to not settle for babies and boys. You got to raise your standards. You got to speak those truths. Ladies, I guarantee it. If you set the standard higher, they will fight to meet the standard. I, will t- I was a young man once. I know. They will cheat, lie, manipulate, do anything they can to maybe cheat that standard, but they will do whatever they can. Look at ladies. You are so important in the spiritual walk in the journey of the family, and that should never be talked down. Deborah is used by God, and the entire nation is going to be changed because she has a relationship with God, and she's willing to share it and speak that truth. That's it. For the rest of this chapter, that's all she's going to do. She's going to speak truth. She's going to walk the walk. And then next chapter, she's going to write a song about it. That's it. That's all she does. And yet 10,000 men are going to be led by God to go into battle, and it's going to change the entire trajectory of this country. I was very crystal clear with you. I'm really stretching from the text in its context, but it relates the same. Ladies, we never want you to be put down. And if anything, you're going to be what helps us change these things around. Our boys are so confused out there. They're wearing dresses, trying to win the women's track. They're the fastest swimmers of the women's team. That doesn't happen in a vacuum. That doesn't happen on its own everyone around them so you're an important part all right now we got a battle to fight 900 chariots with some slingshots how does this go verse 11 through 16 oh that's in chapter 10 i was in the wrong chapter almost here we go verse 11 now heber the kenite of the children of hobab the father-in-law of Moses had separated himself from the Kenites and pitched his tent near the terebinth tree at Zainim, which is beside Kadesh. And they reported to Sisera that Barak, the son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor. So Sisera gathered together all his chariots, 900 chariots of iron, and all the people who were with him, from Harosheth Hygoyim to the river Kishon. Then Deborah said to Barak, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone out before you? So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. And the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and all his army with the edge of the sword before Barak. And Sisera alighted from his chariot and fled away on foot. 
But Barak pursued the chariots of the army as far as Harasheth Hagoyim, and all the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword. Not a man was left. Let's work, let's work backwards a little bit. Not a man was left. That's a victory. No prisoners. Complete victory. I want to repeat. Slingshots, 900 chariots of iron. What happened? We're gonna, we know from chapter 5, when Deborah writes her song, that when they go to the plain to fight, God brings rain. And it rains so hard, the plain turns to mud. And the chariots, instead of becoming an asset, became a liability. That's how they were able to just go up there and just start, uh, uh, rated PG, hacking these guys to pieces, tearing them out of their chariots. The plan was... It didn't make any sense. Let's go into the plain where they have the best advantage. And God just happened to make it rain. Barak could have talked back to him. You know, God, you know, it would be a lot better if we fought in the hills. The chariots can't fight that well there. This is a rocky, hilly country. This is Israel, right? You remember you had us marching around for 40 years in the desert before we could come here? You, you are familiar with the territory. But God had planned it perfectly. That's all we had to do. Is just follow God's plan. Back to the family. Ladies, the guys will go. They will climb mountains. They will fight battles. They will, they will do incredible things. All they need to hear is you say, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Has the Lord gone out before you? That's all Deborah says. That's it. All it took was Deborah speaking to Barak. Today's the day. Go do it. You can do it. And remember, he needed her there because he didn't have the faith that she, does, that she did. We know that God wanted him to have greater faith because he's not going to get the glory for the victory anymore. There was a punishment or there was a result that came from that. That's how we know it's proscriptive. God is telling us from the text, not descriptive, just explaining it to us. Up, for the Lord is with you. Guys, if you're going to have the ladies speaking into your life like this, they better be speaking for God because they will speak death into your life. They will come into your life and they will tell you that something's from God and it's not. You better make sure you check the source. We need to check the spirits, the Bible says. We need to confirm that these things are the Word of God and they come from the Lord. We cannot be naive. Why? Because lives are at stake. Marriages and families are at stake with the decisions that you make. And so, no, he should have listened to Deborah, but he shouldn't have only followed her. He, he shouldn't have just said, well, if you go, I will go. You go first, because that's where we know that was not the role. He was to go. He was to receive the information from God, and he was supposed to lead, and he didn't. But he was still faithful, and God still delivered. Not a man was left. Now, we're going to back up even farther. How did this battle start? Heber the Canaanite, all the way back in verse 11, Father-in-law of Moses, you'd be like, wait a minute, shouldn't these guys be on the team Israel? No, they're not. They're neutral. 
In fact, they are allied, or at least close, to Sisera. They're friendly. And so they get the information that Barak has brought this army together. And so this neutral party, Heber, the Kenite, goes and tells Sisera, hey, I thought you should know, you know, my distant cousins, in-laws, you know, really, they're just married into the family. They've, they've raised an army. They're going to fight you. Oh, they're going to fight us. Okay, great. They're in the plain? That's just dumb. I'm going to just take them out right now. Get the chariots. And they jump on the chariots and they go to battle. And everything's going exactly to God's plan. Now, this is going to be important, these little details, for this next section. We're going to read quite a bit now in chapter, in chapter 4, verses 17 to 24. However, Sisera had fled away on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was a peace between Jabin, king of Hazar, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. And Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Turn aside, my lord, turn aside to me, do not fear. And when he had turned aside with her feet into the tent, she covered him with a blanket. Then he said to her, Please give me a little water to drink, for I am thirsty. So she opened a jug of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him. And he said to her, Stand at the door of the tent, and if any man comes and inquires of you and says, Is there any man here, you shall say no. Then Jael, Heber's wife, took a tent peg and took a hammer in her hand and went softly to him and drove the peg into his temple. And it went down into the ground, for he was fast asleep and weary. So he died. And then as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out of the, to meet him and said to him, Come, I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he went into her tent, there lay Sisera dead with a peg in his temple. So on that day, God subdued Jabin, the king, Canaan, uh, king of Canaan, in the presence of the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. This is where we come back to that descriptive versus postscriptive, because I have heard some of the craziest sermons come out of this portion of Scripture. It doesn't say if this is good. It doesn't say if this is bad. God never told her to do this. It just happened. And Deborah prophesied that it was going to happen. How can I not just full, throw my full weight behind this and say, wow, this is glorious? Number one, yes, God used this 100% and delivered Israel. But we have to go back to the original cultural context. She breaks every single cultural rule of ancient Middle Eastern culture. Number one, this man is allied to her husband. Number two, she is breaking the ancient cultural rules for hospitality. When someone comes into your tent and you take care of them, you are to protect them with your life. That is sacred to them. She kills a man that her husband made peace with. They made a plan together. She uses treachery to murder this man. Not an open combat or anything like that. And then this is a sexist culture. She is a woman. She's not to be making these decisions. I don't know what family dinner was like that night, but it is not good for her. <laughs> Anything interesting happened today, honey? 
What's with that red spot over there on the floor? <laughs> Again, there is nothing here that should say she was the Lord's ma- uh, lady of the hour, that this was anything else that happened there other than this, that this was because of X, Y, and Z. We just, we don't know. It's just descriptive. This is what happened. This is the news report at five. Psychopath woman kills army general. More news at 11. We also know here that the war's not over, even though Sisera is there, because in verse 24, it says, Israel grew stronger and stronger against Jabin, king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, king of Canaan. The war continues after this, battle after battle. So it's not over. And so again, we just want to be very careful when we're talking about the Bible because we want to rightfully divide the word of truth, the Bible says. And so, no, Christians, we're not supposed to be driving um, pegs through people's heads in the middle of the night. No, that's not how we're to do it. I think it's very dangerous to take this story and to spiritualize it, although um, Charles Spurgeon has an amazing one about it. Like I said, eat the fruit and spit out the seeds. It's amazing. I just don't think it's right. But what he preaches is absolutely correct. And so we've got to be careful with those kinds of things. Well, this evening, we're going to spend the rest of this hour, up until about 8, praying, interceding for one another. Uh, in, we'll have Judges chapter 5 next week when we've got the Song of Deborah. She's going to give us more details about what happened. And then chapter 6 right after Gideon. So we're going to have, a, um, in the book of Judges, we are not going to lack for action. That is for sure. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Just pray one at a time, loud enough that we can all hear you and agree with you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word, these stories, to think of these things actually happening, to think of lives and countries completely being upended because of one or two people and their relationship with you, and yet you never change. These things still happen today in the age of grace. We pray that as we are... Spending this time in prayer this evening, Lord, that you would be guiding and directing our prayers, filling us with your spirit, 